0: So you guys have a good day. Did uh, anybody get left up on that mountain or we're all good? We're all here. Okay. Did you guys do okay not hitting on any of the high school kids? Was that a Was that okay? Not a, not that not that big of a challenge? We did all right. I'm glad I'm I'm glad that Jade spoke out against that and warned us. That was prophetic. I appreciate that. Um Hey, I want to thank you guys for letting me come up here, not that you had anything to do with that, um, but I appreciate you. you've been very kind to me and it's been a lot of fun. So this is the last talk that I'm going to do uh, tonight, but I'm just so thankful for you guys. And like I, what I said on the very first night, I, I, I just, I mean, if you like drilled into my bones, it would be what it is. I just so believe in what God um, is doing in and through you. And um, I, I tell this to, to Corey and Connor and Kendrick and Jaden, and some of the younger people all the time, but like, I really do feel like God has just really put me in a position to try to set up uh, future leaders, your generation, uh, to be... Uh, the best that you can be in what God has given to you. So uh, it's a huge honor for me to be able to just kind of just stand in the gap and cheer you guys on. So thankful for that. I mentioned the other day I grew up in um, Florida. I think I mentioned that. I said the South. And somebody somebody came and confronted me about dumb people being in the South. Um, Actually, they didn't confront. They confirmed. So... Okay, Mary Esther's one of the smartest people I know. She's from the South. Yeah, okay, both of you, yeah, that's where right, you both are. Okay, anyway, so I grew, I grew up in Florida. Florida's known for a lot of things. Uh, Disney World's there. Uh, Kennedy Space Center is there. Where's uh, where's my boy? No, no not, it's not named after your family, Josh, I'm sorry. Um, oh yeah, I was looking for you. Space, rockets, satellites and stuff. Yeah, Jeff, Jeff's a, like a rocket scientist or something. Astronaut, I think he's an astronaut. Um, Your world champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers a couple years ago (laughs) from there, Uh, but my favorite thing about Florida like all like the crazy like Florida man headlines. anybody has anybody ever like googled or looked at these? Okay, somebody probably did marry an alligator. That checks out. That's 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 very on brand for Florida. a couple of my favorite ones. One, there was like when Hurricane Irma was coming through, there were a b- group of people that were trying to shoot it down. And so they got arrested because there were all these people who were outside trying to shoot at the hurricane. There was another guy um, who tried to, he tried to rob a Wendy's by throwing an alligator through the Wendy's <laughs> drive-through window. And he got arrested for assault with a deadly weapon because he had that. But uh, <laughs> that's real. I mean, that's real. So, But one of, my, one of my favorite stories, and this is, this is kind of an interesting story, um, the, the cops were called to uh, a woman's house because her neighbors hadn't seen her in a while and there was a pretty bad stench that was coming from her house. Uh, and so the cops kind of walked in and they found her in the kitchen um, and she had died sadly, but she was on the floor in her kitchen. Um, and there was a knife in her hand, like a butcher knife that was in her hand, and there was blood everywhere. Um, but they did kind of like a further like investigation. They started to check out her body, and they, there were no puncture wounds on her at all, and they were, were able to surmise like, oh, this blood is not hers. This, is not, this blood is not hers. And so they were kind of able to track the blood and they went to another room. And in that room, uh, they found a 10-foot boa constrictor. And what had happened as they kind of pieced this together is she was in the kitchen and she was like chopping up vegetables, getting uh, like dinner prepared. And she had allowed her pet boa constrictor uh, to start to kind of coil around her. And she just let it kind of coil and coil and coil until it got too close to her neck and it started to constrict too much. And so she took her knife and she started to stab this snake so that it would let her go, but it was too late. The snake actually suffocated and killed her, but she had mortally wounded the snake and so it crawled into the other room and that's where the boa constrictor died. I don't know if that's story true, but that is a crazy story, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That story, that story actually represents what we're going to talk about tonight. Because what that story represents is what happens in our lives when we have little pet sins, little pet lies, little pet thoughts or behaviors or compromises or just like little pet like rebellions that we allow to just kind of like hang out and kind of coil around our lives and they just slowly kind of wrap their way around us. So I want to share a story from the Bible about a man Um, of God, whose life was shaped by this reality, and we're going to see how God redeems redeems and restores um, our stories when our stories are like that as well, too. Let me pray, uh, and then we'll just get right into it. Father, we love you, and God, I'm so thankful for the way uh, that Connor and Sarah and the band is able to lead us just in this singing and this worship, God, in the way that you're preparing your hearts, God, I'm so thankful for... uh, the team that is faithful to pray and to invite your spirit and God just the 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 incredible work that's being done before we ever get to this moment I'm so thankful for that and God I pray that you would answer those prayers tonight God I am praying um, that you would do an undeniable work of your spirit we have all been to lots of moments where we've listened to lots of sermons and we've been in things like this. And God, we just don't need to go through the motions one more time. God, we just don't need to do this if you're not going to be active and working and present and changing and convicting and wooing and doing all the things that only you can do, God. So I am praying, God, that you would work in an undeniable way. God, I thank you for the ways that you've already started to prod our hearts. God, I'm I'm thankful even for people who are getting upset at what you are saying to them or doing in them. And God, I pray that you'd continue to just make us uncomfortable in this moment. But God, I pray more than anything, God, that tonight we would hear your voice over us of how much you love us and how much you care for us and how intimately you are acquainted to every single detail of our lives. And God, you, you love us just the same. So I thank you for that, Holy Spirit. We need you, so Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you, would you show us, God, what it is that you have for us? Give us eyes to see, ears to hear. Jesus, uh, I pray that our affection for you is stirred up in just really crazy ways tonight. So I love you so much, Jesus. And I'm so thankful for the way um, that you love me and that you love us. So it's in your name we pray. Amen. Uh, we are going to talk tonight about a guy named Samson. And we're in kind of the book of Judges again. So we're in the time of Judges again. And uh, I, I, I talked about this a little bit this morning. But you remember the people of God came from one family. God put the, turned them into a nation, takes them to the promised land, The book of Judges is really all about like this cycle. It's the same cycle that you and I are in all the time where uh, we have these moments where we're completely committed to God and God defeats our enemies, defeats their enemies and they enjoy this this time with God and then they kind of cycle back to going back to these idols and going away from God and enemies start to creep in again and overtake them and oppress them and they go in this like constant cycle with, with God. And here, the, the enemies that are kind of like, so we had the Midianites this morning. Now we're going to be dealing with the Philistines. If you've ever heard the story of David and Goliath, so Goliath was a Philistine champion, Philistine giant. And so the Philistines are harassing, They're this major bullies in the lives of God's people right now. And so the, the people of God, the nation of Israel begins to pray, and so God raises up this Judge Samson. Remember when I was talking about the judges, don't think like a Judge Judy, you think more like kind of like Avengers, especially when you start to hear about this dude Samson tonight. So the story that we're going to look at, uh, God, it starts where God speaks to two people, a husband and a wife. Uh, the husband and wife, they're not able to have children, but they pray and they ask God for a child. So Judges chapter 13 is where we're going to kind of start. And the scene unfolds where God sends an angel to speak to this woman, and he says, you're going to have a son, and he's basically going to be like an Avenger. But Manoah, the husband, wasn't there so she tells him he prays God can you please send the angel back because I got a few questions and then God again sends the angel in verse in chapter 13 and we'll start in verse 9 and so this is the conversation that the angel has with um, essentially Samson's parents God answered Manoah's prayer and the angel of God appeared once again to his wife as she was sitting in the field but her husband Manoah was not there so she quickly ran told her husband this man appeared to me uh, the man that appeared to me the other day is here again. So Manoah ron, r- ran back with his wife and asked, are you the man who spoke to my wife the other day? Yes, I, "Yes," he replied, I am. So Manoah asked him, okay, when your words come true, what kind of rules should govern the boy's life and work? Right. So he's, they've been told, you're gonna have a son. And he's like, okay, when we have this boy, what are the rules that are gonna govern his life, and govern his work? And the angel of the Lord replied, be sure your wife follows the instructions I gave her she must not eat grapes or raisins, drink wine or any other alcoholic drink, or eat any forbidden food. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, please stay here until we can prepare a young goat for you to eat. I will stay, the angel of the Lord replied. Angel of the Lord is always down for something to eat. You see that all throughout the scripture. However, he says, I'm not going to eat anything. However, you may prepare a burnt offering as a sacrifice to the Lord. Manoah didn't realize it was an angel of the Lord. So remember we talked about the angel of the Lord before. So this pre-incarnate Christ is showing up here again. Then Manoah asked the angel of the Lord, what is your name? For when all this comes true, we want to honor you. Why do you ask my name? The angel of the Lord replied. It's too wonderful for you to understand, which is such a beautiful verse. Then Manoah took a young goat and a grain offering and offered it on a rock as a sacrifice to the Lord. And as Manoah and his wife watched, the Lord did an amazing thing. As the flames from the altar shot up towards the sky, the angel of the Lord ascended in the fire. And when Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell with their faces to the ground. And the angel did not appear again to Manoah and his wife. Manoah finally realized it was the angel of the Lord. And he said to his wife, we will certainly die, for we have seen God. But his wife said, if the Lord were going to kill us, he wouldn't have accepted our burnt offering and grain offering. He wouldn't have appeared to us and told us this wonderful thing and done these miracles. So pretty impressive presentation there. So when her son was born, she named him Samson. And the Lord blessed him as he grew up. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir in him while he lived in Manadan. So they're going to have a baby. And the angel says, this man's going to have like this kind of superhuman strength. Um, But God gave a a few particular guidelines. So there's some rules around Samson's life because he has been set apart because he's been given, God gave him this strength. Uh, for the deliverance of God's people. There are some rules for Samson to live by. Uh, And of course, these are rules for Samson's life. So these are not necessarily rules for your life or for my life, but these are unique for Samson. So there's three things that you need to know about Samson. There's three rules around his life. The first, uh, he was never to touch anything that was dead. Okay, don't touch anything that's dead. That seems fairly reasonable. Uh, No wine or no strong drink. So, uh, dang, someone, (laughs) yeah, well, if you want superhuman strength, that's what it takes. All right, and then the last one, uh, and this might seem a little bit odd to you, uh, but he was never to cut the hair on his head, okay? So no haircuts, no cabernet, don't touch anything that's dead, okay? And so his mom and his dad, they say, okay, God, if that's how we're going to raise him, you're God, that's what you want, he's going to have a great deal of power, that carries with it a great deal of responsibility. Thank you, Spider-Man. Bible would say it to whom much is given, much is required. And so he has these three simple ways that Samson can show that he's dependent on God, okay? So God wasn't just like kind of coming up with these like arbitrary rules, right? These are ways that he can show that he's dependent on God. So as a follower of Jesus... God has a prescribed way for you to live. And we have ways of living that might seem odd to the world. In fact, they are often ridiculed by the world. But they are ways of living that show we trust God. There are ways of living that show like we are not our own God. We submit to Yahweh, the one true God. And with Samson, it's not necessarily his long hair that gives him strength. But it's his way of declaring to God, God, I trust you and I'm gonna do it with every part of my life. So if you say don't cut my hair because I trust you with every part of my life, that's what I'm gonna do. And where we jump in on, on Samson's story, I want to, we're not going to be able to read all of Samson's story, but again, if any of this stuff is interesting to you, you can always read it on your own. And I would encourage you to do that if you never have. But Samson has really taken to task what God has given him in delivering his people from the Philistines. So he's got some, there's some really cool moments. There's one moment where he kills like a thousand guys with his bare hands and the jaw of a donkey. So, which is wild. He's just in there like just slaying dudes with an animal bone. Um, there's another moment. There's, there's something with Samson too where he, Samson does not do well with women. He gets in a lot of trouble with women. And at one point, he has this kind of altercation where he catches a bunch of foxes I don't know how he catches them, but he catches a bunch of foxes and then he ties their tails together and then he lights all their tails on fire and then he lets them go in his enemy's fields. So his enemies have all these like wheat fields and grain fields and stuff. So he catches all these foxes, which is crazy, ties them together, crazy still, lights them on fire. I love Samson. And then he just <laughs> lets them go and they run through the field and they burn up everybody's field, which is like a wild way to commit arson, but that's what he does. <laughs> So the Philistines, they're like, this dude is a problem. We have got to get rid of this Samson guy. And it has not gone well because what they do is they keep sending like all their soldiers. And they are sending like their like hit squad. They send like their SEAL Team 6 in from, and it is not going well. So now what they're going to do is they're going to recruit a spy. And they recruit a woman by the name of Delilah. And so Samson sees her and he's like, hey there, Delilah. And so she shows up. And they, stupid, is that what? It, was, it is stupid. And so the Philistines give Delilah like this huge sum of money. And they, and they say, okay, Delilah, here's your, mas- here's your mission. You need to figure out the source of Samson's strength. Because we have to deal with this guy, and so in the scriptures, she actually has several moments where she's trying to ask Samson, like, okay, you know, if you really love me, uh, you, you know, if I'm really yours, uh, like, tell me the source of your strength, and Samson. Samson is a savage because he keeps lying to her. And he tells her, he's like, oh, it's this. And then she's like, okay. And so then she tells a group of soldiers like, hey, I figured out what the source is. I did the thing. They come in to get him. She wakes him up. And then he busts up all these dudes. And she's like, why do you keep lying to me? And he just kind of laughs it off because this is Samson's just cold like that. Okay, so then now we jump into the story in chapter 16. Okay, so she's had several moments with Samson where she's trying to figure out what the source of strength, and he keeps lying to her, he keeps messing with her, but now she's finally kind of wore him down. So Harley, I told you verse 16, I'm gonna start actually in 15. Okay, in verse 15, chapter 16, verse 15, chapter 16, Delilah pouted, how can you tell me I love you when you don't share your secrets with me? You've made fun of me three times now, and you still haven't told me what makes you so strong. So people have just been having relationship problems for a long time. She, the verse 16, I love. She tormented him with her nagging day after day until he was sick to death of it. That verse will preach. All right. Okay. Finally, Samson shared his secret with her. He says, my my hair has never been cut, he confessed, for I was dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. And if my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as anyone else. And so verse 18, Delilah realized he had finally told her the truth. So she sent for the Philistine rulers. Come back one more time, she said, for he's finally told me his secret. So the Philistine rulers returned with the money in their hands and Delilah lulled Samson to sleep with his head in her lap and then she called in a man to shave off the seven locks of hair. This is why you don't spend the night at your girlfriend's house, amen? Hey. In this way, in this way, she began to bring him down and his strength left him. 21, she cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. When he woke up, he thought, I will do as before and shake myself free, but he didn't realize the Lord had left him. Can I just tell you, it's one of the saddest verses in the scriptures. He didn't realize that the Lord had left, the Bible doesn't say he didn't realize that his strength was gone. He said he didn't realize that the Lord had left him because that was the source of his strength. And so the Philistines captured him and they gouged out his eyes and they took him to Gaza where he was bound with bronze chains and forced to grind grain in the prison. So unquestionably, the worst day of Samson's life. Imagine you go from having super- human strength. You can't be defeated. The power of God rippling through your body. And on this day, you wake up from your nap thinking, once again, you'd be able to take out whoever is against you. And then all of a sudden, the power is gone. The power is gone. You get knocked out. You wake up in a prison. Your eyes have been gouged out. And now you push a millstone. Until you die. I mean, how, how how horrible would it be to realize my sight is gone and I am in chains? The story is told, and it's meant to be a disturbing image for us. It's meant to be a cautionary tale. It's meant to make us uncomfortable and to shake us from a certain way of living. And of course, the question that we're supposed to ask is, "How could Samson be so foolish? Like, how could this happen to him?" willingly giving the enemy his secret. When when we talk about a secret here with Samson, the secret is really between him and God. And there is a secret between us and God. And and the word that the scripture uses to to define that secret is the word intimacy. Uh, Psalm 25 says, the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. Meaning like the secret of the Lord is, is an intimacy that you have with the one true God. And to live in fear of of God is not that you're scared of God, although when you understand who he is, there is a level of awe that takes you back, but it's about reverence. It's about reverence. So here is Samson, who has a secret, an intimacy with God, a special set-apartness with God. There there at one point was a real reverence for, for God, and, and the mark of intimacy, the uniqueness of the relationship was Samson keeping the secret, but he willingly gives it away. So how does this, how does this happen? How, how could someone who started out so well, who had so much going from, so much promise, so much potential, end up so badly? And then for us, how do we make sure that we don't end up like that? How do we avoid the steps that Samson took? because with Samson, it starts with small compromise. We're gonna see that in the story. It ends up with Samson blind, in chains, in prison, but it doesn't start there. The way that it starts with Samson, and the way that it starts with you, and the way that it starts with me, are little, bitty, tiny, no one will ever know, gray area kind, compromises. Back up to Judges chapter 14. Chapter 14, verse 5. As as Samson and his parents were going down the Timnah, a young lion suddenly attacked Samson near the vineyards of Timnah. It's always, pay, it's always good to pay attention just to what exactly is like happening in these verses, okay? Why is Samson in a vineyard? Dude's not supposed to drink wine. So why go visit a vineyard? I love pizza, but I'm kind of at the age where I probably shouldn't eat pizza every single day. So if I just go like, kick it, at, like Venezia's or like, Sal's Gilbert pizza all day, and I'm like, I just want to see how it's made. I just want to sit here and like smell it. I'm not going to eat it. I don't eat, I'm not going to eat too much. I'm just going to sit here and just watch everybody else eat it. It's not very wise, is it? So Samson, like, man, why even go there? It's just not a great decision. Maybe, well, technically I'm not drinking, I'm just around it. Yeah, but bro, it's not even good to be around it. I know nobody here is probably like this, um, but when I was in high school, I made a ton of bad decisions, uh, and I was uh, actually pretty bad about lying about them too. Um, so one night, I remember I came home from being out with friends And I smelled uh, like cigarette smoke um, because I was around friends. I was around people who were smoking at some party or something. And so my parents, because they're good parents, they're like, hey, you know, were you smoking? I was like, no, but I had some friends, and and they were smoking. And because my parents are not idiots, they're like, oh, great. Well, can we smell your fingers? (sighs) And they smelled my fingers, and, because I'm a big, fat dummy, my fingers smelled like smoke because I had been smoking. <laughs> and, um, even, this is how stupid I really am, when they were like, well, why do your fingers smell like smoke? I was like, oh, I was just holding cigarettes from my friends. <laughs> they didn't buy it. Here's the point. Do not put yourself in the path or the place or of foolishness or wickedness if you don't want to get caught up in foolishness and wickedness let me say it another way if you don't want to get caught up in foolishness or wickedness don't put yourself in the place or the path of foolishness and wickedness. If you read through the book of Proverbs, the whole book of Proverbs is basically saying the same thing. Proverbs thirteen twenty says, walk with the wise and you become wise. Associate with fools and you'll get in trouble. And that's from the wisdom writer who's brilliant, but we all have an experience where we would say, yeah, that is true. That checks out in my life. And so the question is what is the small compromise for you? What's the, what's the vineyard for you? Maybe it's an actual vineyard. <laughs> maybe that's where you shouldn't be going. But for all of us, all of us, there is something or maybe someone that we are putting ourselves around that when we get near to it, even though we said, I'm not gonna do this, I'm not gonna get into that again, but we still kind of sneak off to it. And I know there's somebody in the room because there's a lot of smart people in the room and you're sitting there and you're thinking, you know what? This sounds a lot like legalism and I have freedom. And you know what? You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. You have true freedom in Christ. It is one of the most glorious, amazing realities about being a Christian that God has given us good gifts to enjoy in this world. But legalism is when I say no one can do a thing. Wisdom is when I say I shouldn't do that. Because it might not be evil in and of itself, but I get evil when I get around it. And for many of us, there are situations There are relationships, there are temptations that make a life of holiness or a life of being set apart more difficult than it should be because we are choosing to go through the vineyard. Just because you can do a thing doesn't mean that you should. And as Samson is going through the vineyard, a lion attacks him. Okay, pause. So the Bible says that the devil is like a First Peter 8, a roaring lion who wants to devour us. So if I'm doing something stupid and a lion attacks me, I'm going to be like, you know what, God? I get it. Message received. I, I should not be here. That's why that lion is after me. Maybe being in a vineyard is just a crazy place for a guy who's not supposed to drink wine to be. And God is good. God is good to say, hey, Samson, turn around, man. Break out of the vineyard. It's not where you're supposed to be. This is a small compromise. I realize you're not drinking. You're just hanging out. It's not a wise way to live. Look at verse six, chapter 14. It says this, at that moment, when the lion springs at him, at that moment, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him and he ripped the lion's jaws apart with his bare hands. He did it as easily as if it were a young goat but he didn't tell his father or mother about it. Okay, I got questions. How do people know how easy it is to tear a young goat apart? I don't know how that is a helpful reference for me, but apparently it's not that difficult because Samson was able to do it. But Samson keeps rolling. Look at verse verse eight. Scripture says this. Later, when he returned to Timnah for the wedding, he turned off the path to look at the carcass of the lion. And he found that a swarm of bees had made some honey in the carcass. Okay, Samson detours again to the place that he's not supposed to be to go check out something he's not supposed to go check out. He wants to see what's left of that dead lion. Verse nine says this, he scooped some of the honey into his hands and ate it along the way. He also gave some to his father and his mother and they ate it, but he didn't tell them that he had taken the honey from the carcass of the lion. Okay, it is kind of gross. However, it's also a violation of what God had said. Not supposed to touch anything dead but there's honey in the dead thing. I really like honey. I know I shouldn't, but maybe if I'm super careful, I can get a little of the honey out without getting any of like the dead on me. Do you see how he's he's playing with, with fire? Be- because... Samson is inches away from a terrible decision with massive implications, not just for him, but God has set Samson apart for something. And I don't know what you believe about yourself and what you believe about your life, but can I just tell you something, regardless of what you have done and regardless of what has been done to you, God, if you are his, has set you apart for something A divine purpose from the throne of heaven is on your life. And when you make decisions like what Samson is doing here, it's not just about you. God has something set up for you always for the good of someone else and for the fame of Jesus. And when we do these things, it has implications not just for you and not just for him, but for the people that he's meant to rescue. And he's just messing around. He just keeps screwing around with all these things that he's not supposed to be anywhere near. The Bible says he doesn't tell his parents where he got the honey. He doesn't tell his parents the whole story. You know why? Because he doesn't want to explain it. He doesn't want to talk about it. Can I ask you something? Do you have things in your life where you're not telling people the whole story? What's going on in your life that you're not going to tell someone about? You're not going to tell Corey. You're not going to tell a pastor. You're not going to tell your small group leader. You're not even going to tell a friend. You're not going to talk about, you're not going to tell someone who's in your life, who cares about you. You're not going to tell them the whole story. What are you dodging? What questions are you dismissing? Because it's a sign of compromise. Samson doesn't give his parents the full story because he knew what they were going to say. That's probably why you don't give everybody the full story. You already know what they're going to say. And you just don't want to hear it. He doesn't want to hear it. You're starting to see like this trend in Samson's life. The small compromise. Now he, now he goes back to the place just to kind of linger. He's like almost touching the dead thing, and his goal is to try to get as close as he can without actually giving in. So what happens? Well, all of these like slow compromises they lead to being like slowly numbed. If you have an addictive personality like I do, and you've been addicted to things like I have. You know that there's moments when you first do the thing or first take the thing or first whatever, experience the thing. You're hypersensitive to it. And you're just like, oh, I should have never done that. But then, slowly, you begin to get numb to it. And it doesn't matter as much. One little compromise after another, you're slowly getting used to what you said you'd never do. Chapter 15 verse 20, says this. Samson judged Israel for 20 years during the period when the Philistines dominated the land. It's important to understand that between chapter 15 and 16, two decades go by. So for us, it's just the turn of a page, but here it's 20 years, which means Samson has this kind of like skirting the edge, compromised lifestyle for 20 years. That's the kind of lifestyle that Samson has. And and, and verse 1 in chapter 16 says this. One day, Samson went to the Philistine town of Gaza. Real quick, if you've been paying attention, the enemies of Samson are who? Philistines, taught Mark's class. So he goes to the Philistine town of Gaza and spent the night with a prostitute. Wait what? Wait, Samson did did what? How in the world? Twenty years of compromise. Twenty years of small decisions that numbed him over two decades. And you might be listening to this and be like, "Okay, well, I, I'm never. I would that would never happen to me." Don't kid yourself that 20 years from now, if you continued in small compromise after small compromise, don't kid yourself that you couldn't be in places with people doing things that you thought you'd never do and dramatically far away from where you thought you would be. One of the reasons that I love investing in, speaking with, spending time with this age stage is because at your age, I made colossal, foolish decisions that I am still paying for in very real ways today. And so I just ask God, God, would you let me just stand in the gap and speak like I would speak to myself if I could go back in time and speak to myself and lay that out? Let me tell you something. Samson is not the only person that God has ever spoken great things over. Every time he brings someone to new life in him, God has a purpose and a plan and potential on that life. You are full of potential and purpose because of what God has in store for you. But when we sabotage our potential by compromising what God has given us, when he's given us a wise way of living, it is a tragedy. And the problem with the small compromise is that we don't see the bigger problem that it will lead to, and then what that will lead to, and that will allow it lead to. We need to understand that the seed to every sin is in every heart, and if we allow the tiny seeds to grow into the bigger deeds, if we allow the pet sins to curl around and to entangle us and to choke us out, they will take us out. The Bible says that there is a gracious way of escape for us every time we're on the path to sin. God is gracious to send us the little way of escape. But Samson has become so desensitized because he was playing playing the game of how far can I stray from God but still technically be with him. Remember when we started with Elijah and Elijah stands up on that mountain and he's like, how long are you guys gonna go back and forth? Just choose one. Either give yourself totally to Baal Either stop making the little tiny compromises and just go for it or go totally to God. But stop going back and forth. As a pastor, one of the questions that I am asked most frequently is how far can I go? How close to the line can I get? Like, what can I get away with? I used to love when I would do like dating and relationship talks in Seven Ten because that was always the first question that someone would come to me. Very rarely was I ever asked, hey, how close can my girlfriend and I get to holiness? Like, what are the best ways that we can honor God with our sexuality? What are, what are the ways that we can honor God in this relationship? Very rarely was I ever asked that question. And I got to be honest, when I was dating my wife, I wasn't asking that question. But it was a whole lot of like, how far can we go technically? What is and what isn't? But very rarely is someone saying, how far away can I get from sin? How, how far away can I back off from, from the edge of something that will take me out? Paul, in the book of Romans, he says, make no provision for the flesh to fulfill it less, meaning don't even give it an opportunity if you've put on Jesus. So if you've put on Jesus, then the question is, how can I live my life where I give no provision, where I give no opportunity for sin to thrive in my life? knowing that sin and the enemy wants to hold us back from what we ultimately want. Remember we talked about this, Like we are so convinced that God just wants to rob us of the things that we really want. We are so convinced either by our own flesh or by the culture that God wants to take pleasure from you, that God wants to take a good time from you, that God wants to take success or money or stuff or a relationship or sex or whatever. And like God just wants to take and take and take. That is not who God is. God, through the pages of scripture, is giving and giving and giving until he gets to the point where like, I have given them everything. I've designed relationships. I've designed marriage. You know who created sex? God, his idea. Thank you, God. It's a great idea. (laughs) Pleasure, joy, all of those things, God gave them. And he gets to the place where he's like, you know what? I've given them everything. I've got one more thing I can give. My son. I'll give him my only son. And then like Acts 2 is kind of like this neat little surprise. He's like, hey, surprise, I gave you my son. I also got the Holy Spirit. Wham! (laughs) Ah! 3,000 people freak out. Here's the, the, the posture that we need to have towards the deceiver, towards Satan, towards our sin, is that you are not going to gain a foothold because I know it will become a stronghold. And, and maybe the little comp- not maybe, the little compromise will be fun in the moment. It will. But it will overpromise and underdeliver. It will keep you longer than you want to stay. It will cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. And ultimately, it will keep you from enjoying Jesus and life and freedom that he has purchased for you. And you need to get to a place. I need to get to a place. I'm telling you, I don't know why God is having me preach these messages because they are all freaking over me. And I love the fact that I'm not up on a stage so that you can know we are all on the same level ground. Because what you battle, I battle. I don't want a few more minutes online that are going to open me up to more shame and crush me. I don't want a a, a few... A night of a few laughs that leaves me with a lifetime of regret. I, I don't want this immediate pleasure. I want ultimate pleasure. And God, your word tells me that in your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God, that's what I want. I want a lifetime of pleasing God in strength and power that he provides free from guilt and shame, full of joy and purpose and freedom. There are things in my life, I'm just speaking super about this is me. <laughs> there are things in my life that I should be able to enjoy, but because of past decisions, they are tainted with shame and guilt. And the gift that God has given me, I can't enjoy the way that my father intends for me to give it. God restores, redeems, heals, all that stuff is going on. But I'm just telling you, that's what God wants for you. Now, I know um, whenever somebody gives a talk like this, there's always somebody in the room who likes, listen, dude, you're just trying to like, scare us. This is like a scared straight kind of talk thing. You're just trying to tell us like worst case scenario. Like, I know that happens to stuff, but trust me, man, that's not gonna happen to me. You sound like you were kind of like a dumpster fire, but I think I can handle it better than you. And I know there's lots of people who think that way because I thought that way. I have heard hundreds of talks like this, and I always thought, yeah, but I think I know where to draw the line. 1 Corinthians ten twelve says, beware that you think it can never happen to you lest your pride becomes your downfall. Jesus gives us a really radical way to deal with this. He says, be ready to gouge your own eyes out if they're going to lead you to sin. So Jesus wants us to mutilate ourselves. What in the world is that all about? What he's saying is be willing to gouge out your own eye before sin gouges it out for you. Be willing to gouge out your own eye before sin gouges it out for you. Had Samson had that level of intensity, his eyes would not have been gouged out. And Jesus is saying, you should be willing to do anything. You should do something crazy to your sin before your sin does something crazy to you. And Samson didn't, and it took him out. And the enemy got what they wanted. Samson was taken off the battlefield, taken out, eyes poked out, powers gone, arms changed, made to grind grain for the rest of his life, not doing what God had brought him into the world to do. And it should give you and it should give me the sense I don't want that to be my story. But when we ignore God's instruction, we move away from what is actually protecting us. When God gives us a don't, what he's really saying is, don't hurt yourself. But the good news for Samson and the good news for you and for me is that our stories can be redeemed. And I want to talk right now specifically to the person who this is like wildly uncomfortable for and beyond uncomfortable. Like this is really painful. Samson's story ends with a fresh start. The story of the Bible and the story of Jesus is ultimately the story of restoration And redemption. Um, When I started uh, dating my wife, like, I had just a massive history of just all kinds of, like, garbage and sin and addiction. It was just, like, so terrible. Um, And I think, like, one time she didn't return a library book on time. That's, like, kind of, like, the worst thing she's ever done. Um, No, that's not true. She's no angel. But... um, (laughs) No, she might be. Um, so I was like really wrestled with it. I mean, I was like super, I just didn't really drive. There's a, there's a prophecy, it comes out of the book of Joel. God is talking to his people because his people have once again wandered. And when that happened, there was this infestation of locusts that came in and it ate all the grain. And which is, in, in an agrarian society is a really big deal because all the bugs have eaten all their food and they, they, now they're gonna starve to death. And the prophet Joel comes in and the word of the Lord to the people is, I will repay the years that the locusts have eaten. Meaning you have years in your life that have been eaten up by sin and foolishness and whatever. And maybe it's your own doing and maybe it's somebody's doing against you. Can I just, I just want to minister to some of you in a really particular way. God will repay those years. Samson gets a fresh start. His story ends with humility. God's power is perfected in his weakness. He's there in prison. His eyes are poked out, a shadow of who he was, and he's a broken person. But in Samson's story, it took losing his eyes for him to really see God for who he was. Samson began to pray, and in his brokenness and in his humility in chapter 16 of Judges, the scripture says his hair begins to grow back. God's going to grow it back. The things that have been cut down and cut out, can I just tell you something? God's going to grow it back in your life. Don't you love that God is still committed to Samson even when Samson wasn't committed to God? God. Don't you know that God is committed to you even when you're not committed to him? Don't you know that God's posture towards you, his pursuit of you, is always the same? His hair is growing, his humility is growing, his strength is building, and even though he's blind, he begins to see opportunity, and we're going to finish the story It says this in verse 23 in Judges chapter 26. The Philistine rulers held a great festival offering sacrifices and praising their God, Dagon. They said, our God has given us victory over our enemy Samson. And when the people saw him, they praised their God saying, our God has delivered our enemy to us. The one who killed so many of us is now in our power. Half drunk by now, the people demanded, bring out Samson so he can amuse us. So he was brought from the prison to amuse them and they had him stand between the pillars supporting the roof. And Samson said to the young servant who was leading him by the hand, place my hands against the pillars that hold up the temple, I want to rest against them. And now the temple was completely filled with people and all the Philistine rulers were there and there were about 3,000 men and women on the roof who were watching as Samson amused them. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, sovereign Lord, remember me again. Oh God, please strengthen me just one more time. With one blow, let me pay back the Philistines for the loss of my two eyes. And then Samson put his hands on the two center pillars that held up the temple, pushing against them with both hands, and he prayed, let me die with the Philistines. And the temple crashed down on the Philistine rulers and all the people. And so he killed more people when he died, than he had during his entire lifetime. Two things I want us to pull out of Samson's story, and then we'll be done. The band, if you guys wanna come up, you can come up now. Let Samson's life be a warning, for sure. And I know that this message probably felt more like that, and maybe felt like more heavy like that. And if that applies to you, as uncomfortable as it might be, Let God do that work. Let it be a warning. But let it be an encouragement. Let it be an encouragement because it's not too late. And the reason I know it's not too late is because you're here drawing breath and God is speaking to you. And God is speaking to you a word that is far greater and far more powerful and far more freeing and life-giving than your shame or your guilt or even your sin might be trying to speak to you right now. Samson's greatest strength came in the moment that he saw that God is all he needs. The story of Samson is that God is bigger than your failures. Satan loves to make strong men weak, and God loves to make weak men strong. And the best thing that we can do is say, God, here is my weakness, and that's all I got. And God looks at the person who brings their weakness, and he said, I can work with that. If you remember Gideon, Gideon wanted to show off his strength of his 32,000 men, God says, I can't work with that. I can't work when you show up with your strength. But if you want to go to battle in your weakness, God says, I can work with that. And you might be saying, but yeah, but I got a lot of weakness. God says, I got a lot of strength. But God, I got... A ton of failures. God says, I have a ton of forgiveness. Yeah, but I got serious problems. God says, I have serious grace. And I have serious mercy. And I have serious favor that I want to pour on you. And I've got mad love for you. I'm crazy about you. And so when we acknowledge, God, I know I'm weak. I know my places of struggle and fear. God rushes in and he's like, that is the exact place that I want to show up. Samson discovers what we all need to know. Even though he had made a mess of his life, and you might have made a mess of your life, and his eyes are gouged out, he is still the apple of God's eye. so are you. You may have a trail of things, a lifetime of regret. You might have failure after failure after failure after failure. God sees you, knows you, loves you. You are absolutely precious to him. What we are left with in the story of Samson is is a picture of Jesus. Samson's greatest victory happened in the hour of his death. And as Jesus died on the cross, not pushing pillars over, he was becoming a pillar of salvation for us. Because we could never prop up our own salvation. The only pillar that could prop up our salvation, that could hold up our salvation, was the cross of Jesus Christ. Not to bring death, but to breathe his last and to bring life to people. Jesus spoke a way better word than Samson. Samson died saying, Lord, would you kill these people? Jesus died saying, Lord, would you forgive them? Would you take my life so that they could have life? And that prayer... for your forgiveness and for mine do not let your sin speak a greater word than the cross of jesus christ because that is the final word on your sin that is the final word on your rebellion and your foolishness and your wickedness and the sin that has been done to you. That is the final word. Scripture says it was nailed to that cross. One time for all time. What you've done and what you will do. Remember, God says, I know. I know it all. It does not stop me from choosing you of what my son has done on your behalf here's what we want to do we are going to sing some songs but for some of you in this moment you just need to adopt a real maybe a physical posture but certainly a spiritual posture certainly maybe even a emotional mental posture for you to just be honest before god I understand it's a huge hill to climb to be honest with someone else. I get that. I trust me. I totally understand that. You can be honest with God because he already knows it anyway. And he's not shocked. He's not going to run from you. In fact, he's running towards you. We, We sing this song to you. Are we singing that song to uh, this this song to you, it comes from uh, the story of the prodigal son, real quick. I do tell this story a lot. <laughs> the prodigal son gets an inheritance from his dad, goes out, wastes it, he blows all his money, ruins his life, does a bunch of awful things, literally is sitting in pig filth, and he's like, "If I just go home as a slave, it will be better." And so he starts to go home and he's got this big kind of like speech of why his dad needs to forgive him and how he sinned against him. And he's coming up with the perfect words, just like us. We think we gotta come up with the perfect words so that we can impress God with our perfect words so he knows we're super serious about how sorry we are. Can I just tell you something? God doesn't need the words. He doesn't need the perfect words. He doesn't need the magic speech. He doesn't need the stuff. He needs your brokenness. He needs you to come with your weakness, and that's exactly what the son does. Now, the story is the son is coming down the driveway. The greatest part about the story is not so much that the son is moving towards the father, but the father takes off running to the son. Jesus stands on planet Earth and tells that story thousands of years ago so that I can relay it again today and so that he can speak it to me because I need to hear it and so that you can hear it and Holy Spirit, would you apply it to our hearts so that you can know that despite, in spite, whatever has happened to you, whatever you have done, God is running towards you to embrace you how much he loves you. Sit with that. Sit with that reality. Sit with that truth. Let that be the greater word that you hear tonight. That God is for you. And that you are loved by God. Take some time. We need to sit with that. They're going to lead us in worship on that idea.